From Springfield, this is State Week, a program of analysis and commentary on the events that made news this past week in Illinois state government and politics. After months of back and forth, plans are called off for a migrant tent camp in Brighton Park. The governor had the final word and he squashed it, citing environmental concerns at the construction site. When the state of Illinois took control over this contract, um, going into this agreement with Garter World, um, they fully understood that we were providing um, the necessary assessments um, to take a look at the environmental dynamics that exist that we, you know, we figured because of um, you know, bad toxicity and bad policies over the course of generations, um, that discovering um, toxicity there wasn't a surprise. The state of Illinois knew that this assessment was happening and felt confident enough to continue to build on this site. We didn't know enough until you had the full report in hand um, because just, just making some speculation about it I don't think would be a fair way to make an outcome given all that we've got in front of us. The state pulls back on an effort to build a shelter for asylum seekers on an industrial site that's left many to wonder if the city of Chicago and the state are on the same page. Also, the Chicago Bears still looking for a new stadium. Is there the possibility that they may stay close to home? We'll talk about that and more on State Week. I'm Sean Crawford in Springfield. Our panel includes Charlie Wheeler, Professor Emeritus and former Director of the Public Affairs Reporting Program at the University of Illinois Springfield. Charlie's also been a longtime Statehouse reporter and observer. And our guest this week, Dan Petrella with the Chicago Tribune. Dan, it's always good to have you join us. Glad to be back. Good to be with you guys. So, Dan, I mentioned this industrial site. It's in what's known as the Brighton Park neighborhood. To start out with, for people that may not be that familiar with what's happening there and where this would be, explain the location to us and what some of the concerns have been. Sure. It's um, it's on the, uh, the southwest side. It's a former um, industrial property. It's uh, at uh, 38th Street and California Avenue for folks who are somewhat familiar with Chicago geography. And um, it was a site identified by the city of Chicago um, about uh, almost two months ago now at this point as a place where they were going to construct a tent encampment with these weatherized heated tents for migrants who at the time, um, you know, thousands of them were sleeping in and outside of police stations here in Chicago and on floors at O'Hare International Airport. The idea was to get them out of the elements uh, before the cold weather really set in. The state stepped in now about uh, three weeks ago and said that they were going to provide funding to help the city set up one of these these encampments. And it turned out that the city asked them to do it here in Brighton Park. But there were, given the history of the site, as we heard the mayor uh, reference up top, concerns about toxins, about the environmental condition of the site. The state decided to go ahead and um, you know begin the work while they awaited that environmental report. Um, and then the environmental report came back late uh, last Friday. Um, December 1st. And, uh, you know, we were at our laptops till late that evening waiting for the city to send us a copy as were folks in the governor's office. And um, then the Illinois EPA got its hands on the on the report and had some questions and just um, didn't feel uh, confident about the standards that the consultant the city hired used to, uh, to evaluate the site and about the uh, recommendations they made for how to remediate the, um, uh, I believe, mercury and some of the other um, um, pollutants that were found there in the in the soil. So this led to a big political kerfuffle, if you want to say that, at the start of the week uh, between the mayor and, and what he had to say. We heard some of his comments there, sort of indicating as though 
he thought things were going to just move along and that the state was well aware of some of the problems with that site, but they were good enough for it. And, and basically that some other people had said that the, the site was, was safe for people to move into. Then the governor, as you mentioned, they pulled the plug on this. So is there some fracturing there of that relationship with the governor and the state? It, it has a kind of a bad look to it. It does. And, you know, I think the governor is, is trying to do a, a, a very hard sales job to convince everyone that everything is just fine with the city, that they have disagreements from time to time and they work through them. But, um, you know, this is uh, not a sign that things are are working smoothly, that, um, you know, everyone's on the same page. Part of the problem from the state's perspective was that the city was not, um, you know, at least as the state officials characterize it, sharing information as the report was ongoing. Uh, was not being forthcoming with how the assessment was being done, um, you know, didn't, I'm not, I shouldn't say didn't consult, but didn't um, use uh, standards that were up to the Illinois Environmental Protection Agency's standards. So, um, you know, there was definitely some um, some chippiness between the mayor and the governor's office early in the week. Um, you know, at one point, the governor's um, chief spokeswoman, Jordan Abadaya, issued a statement late uh, um, I'm losing track of my days now, one of the days earlier this week, um, and uh, basically said, you know, the city may be comfortable putting people on a site with this, you know, with these unanswered questions about toxins and things, but the state is not. Um, and then, you know, earlier in the day, Johnson had made remarks about a, a shelter at a former CVS store, also on the southwest side that the state has been working for months to, to help the city open up and how that had been taking too long to get off the ground. So there's definitely you know, an escalating sort of at least public display of, of tension, despite the governor's efforts to um, make it appear as though everything is, is um, you know, going along just fine. You know, they may not be yelling at each other over the phone or or sending each other, uh, you know, text messages with strong language in them or anything, but, but clearly there are, um, you know, disconnects here. We're, we're now three weeks into when this work was supposed to be done and they had hoped to have this tent encampment open by mid-December and now they don't even have uh, necessarily an identified site for one. Yeah, Charlie, I guess it's not imperative to have the governor and the mayor of the largest city in the state always on the same page. We've seen that in the past, but when people's lives are at stake, and certainly in this case they are, uh, I would think it helps. What do you think about this situation? Well, it strikes me that uh, when the initial report finally was released. And Dan, you can correct me if I'm wrong. You said about how uh, the, the press was waiting until late Friday night. My understanding is that reporters got a copy of this city report, environmental report on this site before the governor's office did, which strikes me as kind of strange because- Yeah, yes, I know. Sorry, sorry. I was just gonna say, I can, happen. I can say I can confirm that because they the city made, um, the media and, and members of the public who wanted to file a freedom of information request to get the report. And I had been in contact with the governor's office about whether they had seen the report and had any comments. And I know that we um, we received our copy before, at least before his uh, his spokeswoman, if not you know, his whole office had seen the report. It was a matter of, you know, uh, a few minutes, I think, but still it was, um, you know, they did not get an early look or an explanation of the findings before it was out to the press. Yeah, and that, and that strikes me as the kind of, what would you say, mess up that back in my reporting days, you would never have expected to occur. The the fact that whether the mayor and the governor were on the same page, and this is like 30, 40 years ago or not, 
the city would always make sure that the state was aware of what was going on before they would release information to the press. But the thing that struck me was the, the report that ultimately came out, they found, and, and this is from some of the stories, they found uh, arsenic, mercury, lead, manganese, a chemical used in making PVC, uh, traces of cyanide, pesticides, PCBs, all this on the site. And the company that did the, the environmental study for the city said, well, there's going to be a lot of remediation needed. We found some mercury contaminated soil and we took it off site and disposed of it properly. Uh, and we won't guarantee the, the safety of the rest of the area. And it's like, what, nine acres or something like that, that we didn't test. And so the, uh, and, and apparently the site had been used for a railroad yard, the tanks, oil houses, a zinc smelter, and all the stuff that would contaminate it. And so going in, you had to be pretty aware that this is going to be a big danger. And the environmental, the Illinois Environmental Protection Agency came out pretty harshly and said that uh, basically the study done by the, the third party analyst contracted by the city uh, did insufficient sampling and remediation and it does not meet the state cleanup standards for residential use. And I'm quoting now, the, the small number of soil samples at the site did not provide a full picture of conditions at the site and more samples and investigating would be needed to determine the source of the pollutants. And the, the, the study done for the city uh, did not meet EPA standards. At a minimum, an expanded engineered barrier between contaminated soil and human exposure would, be need, would need to be installed to address exposure concerns. Further investigation might also identify additional contamination that would require additional remediation. And what the, the city's consultant said was, well, we'll put crushed rock, the equivalent of gravel, we'll cover the site in gravel and that'll take care of it. And the Illinois EPA said, no, that's not gonna cut it. Uh, you actually have to have a, what they call an expanded engineered barrier, which I think translates either to concrete or asphalt. You'd have to pave the whole thing over, and even then you might have problems. So I think it was the desire to help these people who are staying, some of them in tents outside of police stations or at, on the floor at O'Hare, to find them somewhere to go, made this decision to go ahead before all the facts were in. And I, I totally agree with, with what the governor said. You can't really bring migrants, you know, including children and putting them basically on a site that uh, for all practical purposes is like a toxic waste dump. And, and you know, that's understandable. And, and like you said, Charlie, I understand exactly what the governor's saying there. At the same time, there is a limited amount of money to be spent on this. And Dan, I mean, what? why did they start? Is it just the, this fear of the winter coming and they wanted to get a head start? But like Charlie just mentioned, when you are dealing with a site that has had the types of, been, been used for the types of uses that this place had, 
uh, of course there's a good chance of toxicity in the soil and and I, I just can't understand why they'd get a such a head start on it and then possibly have to pull back. Well, the, the governor's office keeps pointing to the fact that this is the site that the city identified that they wanted to move forward with. Um, what I asked the governor yesterday, I think um, part of what you played at the top of the show was his answer to a question I asked him at a, at a news conference, um, was why the state went ahead and okayed construction to begin without uh, you know, a full understanding of the environmental condition of the site and without really a clearly identified backup plan, knowing that uh, that there were environmental concerns, that there was the potential, um, you know, for problems to be be discovered and didn't really have a, a, um, a very good answer, in my opinion, for um, for why, you know, it's they, they keep putting the onus on the city to identify these sites. Um, he talks a lot about the division of labor where the city is in charge of sheltering and the state is taking care of providing um, services to folks. Um, but, you know, it, when the state is paying the bill, it, it is still uh, somewhat puzzling to me that they didn't say, okay, you know, you have a site, great, this is the one you want us to move forward with, but what's the backup plan here um, in case this falls through and um, have not gotten a great answer why that was, why that went that way. And do we know how much money has been spent on this site? Or is that, is it some of the work that's been done there? Is, are they able to take you know, some of what they've done and maybe move it to another location if that's identified. But I, I guess I'm trying to figure out exactly how far in and how much money may have been wasted, if that's what it is, uh, at that location. Right. And that's sort of uh, part of what we're trying to figure out. And it actually sounded like from conversations with the governor's office yesterday that that lawyers for um, the state and for Garter World Federal Services, which is the private security contractor that's building and operating the site, or I should say was building and supposed to operate the site, um, they're trying to work that out. They had sort of an agreement that, um, you know, if environmental concerns met the site couldn't be used that Garter World wouldn't charge them for the work. At the same time, Garter World is also working on that other um, smaller bricks and mortar shelter at the former CVS in Little Village that I mentioned earlier and, and on some other stuff. So they're trying to, um, you know, figure out how to sort of um, make this make this work for everybody without wasting a bunch of state resources. Don't have clear answers yet on what the city's spent on the site before um, before the state stepped in and, and agreed to pay uh, for building that there. So that is clearly you know, a question and one that we're still trying to get some answers to. Focus now shifted to, to this other site that was mentioned and are the plans now to go ahead and, and build the shelter at the, what was it? I think it was a parking lot of what used to be a Jewel Osco in the Morgan Park neighborhood, 115th and Halstead. Is that moving forward? You know, that's that's uh, one thing we're trying to figure out as well. The, the state has, or sorry, the city has identified that as, as another potential location. Um, obviously, the state now is going to want to um, do some um, evaluating of whether that site is suitable. Um, well, another issue is that since Pritzker came out, uh, you know, three weeks or so ago and announced this funding, the number of, of folks awaiting placement in city shelters has dropped pretty substantially. I think the latest update I saw this morning was that it's a total of now 575 people um, at the police stations and at O'Hare, which, you know, this this tent camp was supposed to house up to 2,000 people. So, um, you know, I guess the question now is whether um, the same level of urgency is there to erect something like this or whether, you know, with um, some of the churches that have stepped in to, to offer shelter and with this um, CVS shelter and some other um, options the state is exploring, for example, with the Archdiocese of Chicago, whether whether they'll need a large tent camp at this point. Um, 
The problem there is the unpredictability of this. We never know when the number of buses coming from Texas is going to increase again, and then we'll be back in a situation where where the city and the state are not prepared for another, um, you know, large increase in the number of migrants arriving and needing shelter. Yeah, and Charlie, this is something that we've talked about before, but uh, th- this is going to be a long-term issue for the state and for the city to deal with, it seems, because like Dan had mentioned, I believe the mayor had said this week that the numbers of those, you know, sleeping in the police stations, O'Hare Airport, down from about 4,000 to around 500 or so. But he also said that over the last several weeks that buses have continued to come and at a much more uh, expansive rate than what we had seen at the same time last year. I believe maybe 10 times as many buses coming in the same period. So it uh, doesn't show any signs of letting up. No, and I, th- I think it'll continue. Uh, certainly next spring it'll heighten, I believe, as we head towards the Democratic uh, Convention in Chicago. And I think the politics behind it, and most of these buses, if I'm not mistaken, are coming from Texas, where Texas Governor uh, Greg Abbott is is trying to embarrass Chicago and other cities that build themselves as sanctuary cities, uh, and trying to say, you guys, you you talk all these noble stuff about you want to take care of folks, but when the rubber meets the road, you're, you bail on them also. You can't handle them. And so I, I suspect that we're going to see an influx heading into spring and, and early summer. And the city and the state have to be prepared to deal with it. And one of the things we talked about before that would really mitigate greatly the problem would be for the folks who are arriving, the migrants, to be given work permits that would allow them to actually support themselves to be able to pay rent, not to have to rely on the goodwill of the state and volunteer groups and church groups for shelter, for food, for clothing, but rather to actually have employment. They're very employable in the sense they bring skills and they're anxious to work. You read the stories where reporters for the Trib and the Sun-Times and Daily Herald elsewhere would go out and interview the folks. And they say, we don't want handouts. We want to work. We want a job. If I'm not mistaken, I think a goodly number of them are actually working sort of under the table to get money for themselves or to send money back to Venezuela to their family members who might still be there. And the danger there, of course, is if they get caught they're put on a plane and they're sent back to Caracas. Let me save a minute here or so, because I did want to mention this on this subject as well. Dan, you had a story about a flyer that the state had put together, and this was uh, apparently drafted to be sent down to the border areas. What what did this all entail? And apparently it never did get sent. Sure. Yeah. And this kind of kind of ties right to what, what Charlie was talking about with, um, you know, the point that Governor Abbott and others are trying to make by sending folks here is sort of the limit of of resources and the limit of the, the welcome that folks will find here. Um, one of the things the state did back in October as they were uh, working with the city on this plan to provide more resources and, and help set up this tent camp um, was uh, and as the state says it was at the encouragement of the federal government, who they were also meeting with at the time, drafted us a flyer in Spanish that sort of um, tried to paint, uh, you know, a bleaker picture of the welcome that folks would receive here, or I guess, from the state's perspective, a more realistic picture, um, you know, informing them about that, that 
resources for things like rental assistance were running low and might not um, might not last much longer, and which in fact the state has now said folks who are arriving now will not be eligible for that rental assistance. Um, and you know the fact that it's very cold in Chicago in the winter, encouraging folks if they are coming here and have family to reach out to them for assistance rather than um, you know coming to to the state for help. Um, the city pushed back on this. Um, state officials have said you know in their discussions they kind of mutually agreed that it wasn't a good idea, that it wasn't actually going to be an effective strategy from uh, for deterring people from coming here. But it ties into some of the policy changes that that uh, you know the city and the state have made. That is, um, you know, partially based on the amount of resources available, and partially trying to, um, you know, sort of slow the slow the um, the influx of, of folks who are coming by capping shelter stays at sixty days by reducing rental assistance from um, from six months to three months, and then cutting it off for for new arrivals. And so, um, it really is, you know, testing testing the uh, the reality of resources versus the rhetoric of of being, you know, a place that. Um, pledges to uh, or professes to welcome immigrants regardless of status with with open arms. And I should say, I just want to, because I mentioned status, these, these folks do have a, a legal status as asylum seekers. Well, a few minutes left here. And uh, of course, we just talked last week, Charlie, that we had not heard much in recent weeks about the Chicago Bears. This is a the football team for the city of Chicago had been looking at a new location for a new stadium, wanting to get out of Soldier Field. Now a report this week, and I believe first reported by the radio station 670, the score out of Chicago, that the Bears might be considering staying closer to home, closer to Soldier Field. If I'm not mistaken, the folks in Arlington Heights said, well, yeah, the Bears are doing due diligence, but we got this site. It's pretty much cleared now. Uh, they spent $200 million to buy the land. My sense is that the Arlington Heights officials feel pretty confident that they're going to get the Bears. And the story talked about maybe uh, building a new stadium in the parking lot at Soldier Field along the lakefront. And one of the one of the commenters on the radio station pointed out that the lakefront land there that the park district owns where Soldier Field is, was once considered for a museum for the works of filmmaker George Lucas, but the friends of the park who would object to a new stadium next to Soldier Field uh, objected and Lucas went to California instead. And one of the radio hosts said, if friends of the park can stop George Lucas, my bet is they can stop George McCaskey too. <laughs> and, and I would second that. Well, uh, Dan, what's the uh, what's what's been the reaction to this story that maybe the Bears are open to staying in Chicago? You know, I think it was a little bit of surprise, especially with the uh, the location. Um, you know, where they're talking about, uh, as Charlie mentioned, it was a a long uh, protracted fight with Friends of the Parks and uh, the, uh, Lucas. I believe it was the Museum of Narrative Arts or something along those lines was going to be the name of it. Um, it was you know litigated for many years and finally. Um, Ended up, like Charlie said, with with George Lucas building that museum out in, in California rather than here in Chicago. Um, you know, I think, like Charlie also mentioned, the fact that there's you know close to two hundred million dollars of sunk costs on the site out in Arlington Heights. Um, you know, if I were a betting person, I would probably still bet on them. Uh, you know, moving out there and not wasting that investment that they've made on that site. I suppose they could sell it or develop it as a non-football um, development or something along those lines, but. Um, you know, I think it, it intrigued people, the idea that, you know, maybe they 
get past the objections about, um, you know, new construction on the lakefront by knocking down Soldier Field, which I think would also, um, you know, come with its own challenges, given that it was built as a memorial. Um, you know, it lost its landmark status when they did the, the uh, when these uh, big renovation back in, I think it was 2006 that it was completed the so-called so spaceship landing, <laughs> landing in Soldier Field. Um, but it, it'll be interesting to see if this is, um, you know, more uh, effort by the Bears to kind of get leverage in their negotiations with, with Arlington Heights, or if they're really considering it. I know it, was, it would be a big uh, win for for Brandon Johnson if he was the mayor who uh, managed to convince the Bears to stay here in Chicago. And Charlie, before we run out of time, you might as well stay on the sports front because there's another team in Chicago that also has been discussing the idea of a new stadium, and that is the Chicago White Sox. Some thought that maybe they could move when their lease is up there with uh, what had been Comiskey Park, guaranteed rate field now on the city's south side. So apparently this week the winter meeting's taking place, and it was down in Nashville, and uh, what did we hear about that? Well, one of the things in and I was commenting to you guys before we started the show that you can tell that the winter meetings were pretty non-productive in terms of news. Everybody's waiting to see what the Otani is going to do, and he's been playing it very close to the vest. There was some talk about, well, wouldn't he look good in the Cubs uniform? But anyway, uh, Jerry Reinsdorf happened to drop in on the mayor of Nashville. And so there were stories where, oh, is White Sox going to move to Nashville? And my personal opinion would be, why would you want to leave the third largest media market in the country to go to Nashville? No offense to Nashville, but Nashville is not a major media market in the same sense that Chicago is. And so I don't really see that happening. Again, this is, is something that Reinsdorf is getting on in years. Uh, the lease extends for several more years. I, I think that the odds are pretty strong that the White Sox are going to stay there at, guarantee, at guaranteed rate field. All right. Well, we'll continue to watch that. Let's go down to our notes from the field, and Dan, we'll go to you first. South of Chicago in the village of Mantino, the village board uh, on, on Monday night this week approved a zoning change for the uh, Goshen electric vehicle battery plant that um, the state has lured uh, to Illinois with the uh, help of more than half a billion dollars in state incentives. This has been a controversial project for the governor, um, you know, a, a, plant, a plant that could bring close to 3,000 jobs to, to Mantino, um, but it's gotten pushback from folks, particularly um, Republicans on the right and the far right who are concerned about this company's ties to the Chinese government and the Chinese Communist Party. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, now that it has the zoning approval it needs if, if the pushback dies down or if this continues to be a, a political uh, issue rather than an economic one. Okay. And Charlie. Professor J. Fred Geertz came out with the flash index for November, and it showed the index fell slightly to 102.6 for 103 in October, but anything above 100 is showing growth. The professor said the declining index is consistent with the soft landing scenario for the economy, which entails moderating inflation and slowing growth. The soft landing scenario avoids a recession that until a few weeks, a few months ago seemed likely, the professor said. And he puts together the index for the U of I's Institute of Government and Public Affairs. And the Commission on Government Forecasting and Accountability, which is like the financial guru for the legislature, reported that through November, 
fiscal year 2024 revenues are ahead of last fiscal year's pace through the same period, the first five months of the fiscal year. Revenues deposited into the state's general funds are 368 million higher. And when you remove the one-time revenues that we got last year from the federal government as part of the uh, ARPA, the base growth for the state in the first five months is actually $499 million. For the moment, anyway, we're looking pretty good there. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of State Week. Our panel included Charlie Wheeler and Dan Petrella with the Chicago Tribune. You can find our show where you get your podcasts through the NPR app and at nprillinois.org. Just look for State Week. Join us next time. I'm Sean Crawford. You've been listening to State Week, a program of commentary and analysis of events in Illinois state politics and government. State Week is produced in the state capitol by public radio station NPR Illinois. This is IPR, Illinois Public Radio.